0: All right. All right. Welcome back to the show. We got with us, Dave Allred. Dave, good to have you on, brother. Yeah, it's so
1: good to be on here, Bridger. I've been excited about this one for a long time.
0: I know it's uh, it's fun. Me and Dave known each other for a long time, uh, followed you for a while and seen your stuff. And then we've, I mean, we've been in groups together. We've just been around the same circles for a long time. It feels like, so I'm excited to have you on. It's gonna be fun. Thanks, now man. real quick, give people the quick, give them the 30 second overview of, of you, your, you know, your current resume, I guess you'd say, I know Axia Partners, you've done a lot there, real estate development, your fund, all that kind of stuff.
1: Okay, 30 seconds is pretty quick um, from Utah here yeah. in Nantai, super small town. Um, grew up, you know, low-income, blue-collar uh, family. Never talked about real estate, finances, any of that. Uh, went to Snow College and uh, got recruited to go out and work for a company called uh, Pinnacle Security. And then went over with uh, Vivint Security the following year. Had a 17-year career with Vivint and uh, Vivint Smart Home, Vivint Solar loved it um you know it's literally going out knocking doors probably the Mm -hmm. hardest way to make a dollar (laughs) yeah but uh you know learned a lot from it and going into that i knew it was going to be really challenging i knew it was going to be an easy job but you know i think what drew me to it was i knew that i was going to learn a lot from it and i've always had a mentality of you know if something scares you or if you're uncomfortable then you should probably do it because that's where we get personal growth and, and development anyway jumped out there hardest thing i've ever done in my life man that first year thought about quitting every single day multiple times and but luckily, it was a, su- a success, and you made about 30 grand that first year, and it was enough. Which for me was. Amazing, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. I, uh, yep. Came back to college, bought an Isuzu Rodeo with the chrome <laughs> rim package. It was balling.
0: Which is know? just yeah. the whole part of summer sales. You knock your brains out for three months. You got to make some money and then come home and buy a car. It's the first thing you got to do so.
1: But in Isuzu Rodeo, I mean, that's yeah. next level, man. Oh, yeah, that's not, like, yeah, that's not, not that's, a car. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was special. So um, came back next year as a manager and, you know, started a leadership career. VP yeah. uh, of sales for um, eight years. Manage 120 teams across the country. Mm-hmm. Love the whole experience there, but uh, I always loved real estate. Um, actually, what I really loved was was having more freedom in my life, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to create massive freedom. And I realized that real estate was the best way to create reoccurring, consistent passive income, mm-hmm. and not pay a lot of taxes along the way. And so that's what what drew me to real estate to begin with. And um, you know it's just con- consistently taking active income and moving it over to passive income through mm-hmm. real estate yeah and so that's a that's a journey it's been a about a 17 year 16 year career now in my career a journey in real estate and it's been incredible man i've loved every every minute of the process and yeah we'll probably spend some more time going through that
0: yeah that's awesome and then now you got with axia yeah, yeah. So tell us about Axia, just high, high level, what, what you guys are doing.
1: You bet. So you know, I started off doing townhomes, condos, and then a bunch of fourplexes. I think about 25 different fourplexes. And then from there, I went to multifamily apartments. And then I went to syndications. And then the next step was to launch my own real estate fund. Mm-hmm. So one of my guiding principles in life is always to do bigger deals than yesterday. And so you know I feel like as you get into bigger deals, naturally, you learn a lot more. You get new circles and probably more profitability as well with the, the bigger the deal so just consistently always trying to take a, a bigger bite you know and a lot of times i don't even know how to how to digest that bite or how to chew on it it's just take the big bite and then figure it out right but with our real estate fund we it's called Axie partners mm-hmm. and we launched that back in january so about 10 months ago and it's been incredible it's been a really fun journey we have five gps on the team and uh the fund is focused on recession resilient passive income so we just invest in multifamily, family uh, rv parks and self-storage mm-hmm. because those are all very recession resilient uh, asset types yep. and so we had a 20 million dollar capital raise oversubscribed very quickly uh it's actually gone even better than expected mm-hmm. and so we're launching fund two mm-hmm. here in q1 of 2022.
0: No, I've seen a lot of people that have invested and talked about it. They said it's been great so far is it from the investor side. So congrats, you guys. It's amazing. Thanks. Um, so yeah, Axia is awesome. First fund, $20 million. Oversubscribed, it's huge. And then now into the second. And I, by the way, I like bringing people on the show that are on all stages. We bring on guys that have multi-billion dollar funds, people that are just getting started, people kind of in the middle, right? Which is where you guys are at, right in that middle uptick growth area, which is amazing. So um, now as promised, Dave, so Dave asked me like, what are the questions for the interview? All that kind of stuff. I'm like, hey, I'm not going to tell you. We're going we're gonna to jump into this. So I know you're a lot into real estate. We're going to talk about that a lot. Lifestyle design. We're talking about your family, how you like to think about everything. But I want to talk first on a topic in a lot of people's mind is real estate in the digital world and metaverse. What's your take? What do you think? Is it a, is this a, is this a scam? Cause you, I mean, last week we saw a property sell for two and a half million dollars. You see, I, I keep, I, I follow the NFT accounts. We see properties for 500,000, a million, $2 million going on Decentraland on Sandbox. And a lot of people are listening like, how do do you make sense of that? Is is this really as good of a play as physical real estate? I mean, if people are saying that it's like buying Manhattan property, you know, 250 years ago, as I saw a post today, and you only bought that for a million dollars. Like that's how people are thinking about it. Obviously there's people getting into this space. They wanna buy virtual land. And anyways, I got a lot of thoughts on it. I'll let you go first though. What are your thoughts on the virtual land world?
1: So I'll start off by saying, I think that you're way, way smarter than I am when it comes to that whole space. Um, And I know Dan Young, one of your uh, partners, you guys are actually launching a fund next year. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to learn more about that. Um, To me, if we can get a fund structure where you have diversification and it's more of a passive uh, involvement, to me, that's very, very interesting. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to learn more about that. Personally, uh, you know, when I first got started in cryptocurrency, I went out and I bought 65 different uh, types of coins. And it took a very strategic approach, almost like you would in a stock portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. Large cap, mid cap, small, you know, a whole diversified approach to it. And then things didn't get. Which
0: is how no one else. I mean, everyone approaches crypto like <laughs> Vegas, baby. Yeah. Let's just let's hit some money. Let's when right. you you step right. into. I love that, that the mindset. Hey, let's take a systematic approach. Yeah, it was, yep. it was like la-
1: large cap is my Bitcoin, and then yeah. you know Ethereum, light, you know, like uh, uh, Litecoin, everything else yep. is more of a medium. And so, um, and it was really fun, and basically doubled up on that. And then you know everything went downhill for a few years, and mm-hmm. just got not fun. So I sat back on it, um, but now. But I've never sold any anything mm-hmm. at all. So for me, it's always more about the long term. Um, just how I approach all my investments. Yeah. And so, uh, but mainly today, it's it's just Ethereum and Bitcoin. I think those are two very strong long term plays. Yeah. And so that's really where I've I've been investing uh, for the most part. But now, those
0: are coins. Now, what about land though? The digital real estate. What do you think?
1: So two things. So with NFTs and, and virtual land, I don't know a lot about it. I want to. I was on a call actually with you on an investment opportunity a few days ago, yeah. and frankly speaking, all that was over my head. You know, they're talking about different. <laughs> me too, dude. Internet. I was like
0: sitting there. I was like, I kind of get, it, I get the idea, but I was like, man, I just, I, I can't make sense of it.
1: And I think the hard thing for me is that just, to, you know, I have so much else going on between my six businesses and Axie and my yeah. four kids. You know, just to just to stay up to speed with that space takes a lot of bandwidth because, you know, one day in crypto and NFT is literally, you know, a month or even a year on like a traditional stock market or mm, you know, yeah. in Wall Street. It's just evolving so quickly, but it's also what I love about that space. It's it is on the bleeding edge right now, and there's so much innovation and disruption happening in the blockchain space. So I actually want to learn more about it. I just haven't had enough um, time and bandwidth to really dive into it more. Mm. But I think NFTs are are, are are the future. I think blockchain is the future. I think the blockchain will replace title companies. Mm, you know, yeah. smart contracts are going oh, yeah. to change the entire game, where we could literally buy a townhome, a condo, a, a 400 unit apartment complex, all through smart contracts, yeah. and not have to go to a tile company. No.
0: All the hassle of just the transaction currently in real estate yeah. cuts out
1: all the middlemen, including mm-hmm. real estate agents, mm-hmm. including brokers, all of that. And so, I'm actually really excited about it. And you know, my approach is just to really embrace it because it is the future mm-hmm. and it's coming. Yeah. You know, so you can either embrace it and run with it, or you can fight it. Either way, it's going to happen. Yeah. Now, what's really interesting to me is actually tokenizing. Real real estate, so not virtual real estate, yep. right? But to go be able to buy an apartment complex, tokenize that, and so our investors come in, they actually own tokens of this this property. Then they'll, 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 that investor can actually reassign or, you know, sell his his his, his tokens, yep. his coins, I said his tokens yep. in in the deal. But that's a fascinating space.
0: We oh, have we have a guy in our group right now done uh, has already done two deals. Massive multifamily 30 million dollar projects through a tokenization process really and it's already anyways It's like obviously people are pioneering. How does this look? It's actually not that complex though It's just like hey, you're buying a share of this property essentially The only we, thing or, that still token.
1: concerns me about it is you know, when it comes to taxes and SEC mm-hmm. Like, it's still a little bit gray area because it's so new you know, just making sure we're compliant in the approach there. So, yep. and I'm sure you can be. I'm just not really up to speed on that. So, I'd actually love to talk offline with you on that. Well,
0: one. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. It's interesting. I'm, I'm trying to learn from them too. On, I mean, the SEC obviously they're trying to get there. They gotta they gotta come in, but they've just been slow. I mean, we 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 had a lady at one of our events. She was a U.S. Congresswoman um in 2016 and 17 and 18, and uh, I can't remember exact years. Somewhere around there she said that she was on the committee for blockchain and how to manage cryptocurrencies on the U.S. Congress committee. And she's like, we had no clue what to do. For three years, we were on the committee. We kept meeting. We, and this is through 2017, through 2018, through the ICO. And she just, they just sat there and said, and she she kind of now after the fact is just like, we really had no clue what to do. And she, and she's sitting there like, I know the people on the, on the committee right now. And she's like, I'm guessing they still have no clue what to do. At least on the U.S. Congress side. Now SEC, maybe they've got more to, to say there. My thought on the NF, the virtual land space is that it's, I'm scared that we, there's like 50 metaverses right now being launched and launching. There's only going to be one or two winners. You might be by buying virtual land in a world that no one's going to care about in four years right? Because everyone's like, oh, you invest, it's investing for the future. Yeah. Only if like Facebook or Meta decides that that's the platform or Apple, because all these Apple, Google, you know, Alphabet, they're all coming in. They've all announced their plans to come in. They will either choose one they want to go after, partner with one or buy one. I'm guessing they're going to buy one. I'm guessing Facebook or Meta is going to buy one of these places here pretty soon. Now, if they bought your place, then I mean, you have a thousand X return. If they don't buy your place, though, then you're down to zero. That's I don't know my thoughts on that. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think you're going to consolidate down.
1: Yeah. So I thought about buying NFTs. You can buy art or, you know, just different images and videos. stuff. to me, that's based on my experience, it's it's too speculative for me to even call it investing Mm -hmm. because who knows what's going to happen with that one, because really the value is just what somebody else is going to be willing to pay for that in the future. Whereas like a fund structure, like what you're mm-hmm. working on again, to me, that makes a lot of sense because there's diversification where you're in multiple different coins or NFTs or whatever else. And so when you are in a more speculative space, I think that always makes sense to have diversification mm-hmm. as an example with Axia, going back to our fund, you know, I took, you know, when I came up with our investment thesis, I curated that based on, okay, how can we mitigate downside risk? knowing that we're 12 years into this phenomenal housing market, Right, so we can protect the downside, not not lose. Like Warren Buffett says, rule number one, investing, don't lose your money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. But then still create really strong returns for our investors. And so that was real estate, and it. But but it's diversified across you know ten different states, three different asset types, and about eight different properties. And so by doing that, just it incrementally decreases your risk profile on the deal. Mm-hmm. There's some statistics out there that you have a 2.7 times lower risk in real estate through a fund structure versus a individual asset or a syndication, mm-hmm. Interesting. right? Because you just have a diversified uh, portfolio of holdings. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's my take on it. One last thing on the blockchain I'll just share with you. So I'm a very systematic, kind of a calculated guy. And so the way I look at um, blockchain and investing, you get people get so excited about it right and usually at least most people i know they jump into crypto based on emotion and fomo and fear and greed right Mm -hmm. and so my advice is is to be very systematic in your approach and really know what you want to get out of your investments and so uh, as an example i'll share with your audience what i do is whether you have a hundred thousand dollar net worth or a hundred million dollar net worth take one percent of that into cash Uh 5% into blockchain. And this is what I do, I do personally, right? Okay. And then 5% into hard money loans, 5% into bonds, 10% into equities, 15% into private equity investments, 25% into residential real estate, and 33% into commercial real estate. Mm -hmm. And so those are different buckets. And to me, that just creates more of an all-weather approach where I'm not gonna try to time the markets because frankly nobody knows that. That's a fool's errand. Mm -hmm. And I'm not smart enough to try to even pretend that I know what's gonna happen in any of those markets. And so I sleep well knowing that, hey, I've got exposure to multiple different buckets and multiple different assets in each one of those buckets, and they're all cyclical.
0: Yeah, I love it. I That's a great portfolio. Say it one more time. 1% uh, cash.
1: 1% cash, 5% blockchain, 5% hard money loans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, borrow money to, to flippers. Do you like to do those yourself? I've done you about 25 of them or so, yeah. just, just personally, you mm-hmm. know, with guys that flip homes. Um, it's actually one of the best performing type of investments, man. You know, 18% interest, whatever it is, but the risk profile is so low on that because I'm going to have, I'm going to be on the deed in the first position. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to yeah. borrow 85% loan to value. I'm going to require you know, everything's all contracted and signed, a personal guarantee from the, the borrower, and then I'm going to do draws for the improvements. And so the risk profile is really, really low on that as well. And I mean, worst case scenario is actually best case scenario. that They mm-hmm. default on that and then I get to take over the asset. And then I have I just go sell it myself, or take it as a rental property for a few years, and then and then sell it. So hard money loans, five percent, five percent bonds, ten percent equities, stock market, fifteen uh, percent private equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do about one one investment in private equity per month. I love that space, but it's a little more higher risk. Mm-hmm. You know, I almost put that in the same risk profile with a lot of um, crypto, mm-hmm. where you know. Yeah. So I'm not going to do huge allotments or uh, allocations of capital. I'm going to spread out. A lot more because yep. of the chance of failure.
0: in your In your portfolio overall, how much is high risk, medium risk, low risk for you?
1: You know, I actually don't. I don't look at it really that way. To me, it's all about cash flow. So every one of those investments is. I try to optimize it for cash flow. And so crypto, you can stake your crypto, mm-hmm. make cash flow on that. And so the only thing that's not cash flowing is the one percent cash, mm-hmm. and. A lot of the private equity is more of an equity play and there's not cash flow, but every other holding and every other bucket is a cash flow machine. Because mm-hmm. to me, you know, Bridger, frankly speaking, I care more about my cash flow than my net worth. Mm-hmm. To me, cash flow is everything, especially in an inflationary environment like we're in today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If your if your investments aren't making more money, right? Throw it back to the, uh, what's that book, uh, the Richest Man in Babylon? Yeah, yep. It's all about your you know, deploying your your money to go and create more money to, to create offspring, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful concept. And so I would encourage, you know, to me, cash flow is king. It creates, you know, I, I talk a lot about lifestyle investing. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically curating the lifestyle that you really want, reverse engineering into that lifestyle based on your investments. And I just found that, you know, mailbox money, cash flow, reoccurring revenue is such a powerful thing, man. Mm-hmm. If you really want more freedom in your life, I would challenge you know your listeners to change their mindset to really say okay how can i pay for my quality of life and the things that i want with the cash flow that i'm generating automatically mm-hmm. right and pass well,
0: and we're going to talk about that in just a second yeah that'll be fun
1: so on so, so all those allocations is 25 um residential real estate and then 33 percent commercial real commercial. estate
0: yeah gotcha anybody listening to you can tell dave has thought through the money game And I think that's, I think number one, I talk to people about money. I had a a kid on um, Sunday night, call me up. He wanted advice on what to do with his life. And my opinion on money in general is, is thus. And I say most people in traditional school, and you can tell that you're deeply rooted like this. And I'm the same way. We're we're not taught about money. We're not taught, taught to care about money, even though money is the number one cause of divorce, number one cause of stress, number one cause of um, financial concerns, the number one cause of just problems with people's lives. Now, if you have a lot of money, do your problems all go away? No, but actually quite a few of them actually do. It's actually proven through studies. And the fact that we are, you go, you're going to go to college or work. The the outcome is to make money. Even whether, even if you're going to be a pro, you know, skier, you're going to paint or whatever. If they stop paying you five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you'd probably stop doing that thing. And
1: um, Bridger, I, got, you know, I, I guess to I say one thing real oh, quick yeah. there, and that is what's crazy to me, though, is that there's no financial literacy taught in the public school systems. Like, mm-hmm. it, yeah. it, it is a key part of our, our society and our lives. And so in, in public schools, elementary, high school, middle schools, even in college, unless you're going into finance, and then still it's more business finance. They don't even teach
0: it. no, they don't teach you personal finance very so, well, no.
1: So in my opinion, and not to go down this rabbit hole, but that's by design. You know, I think that financial freedom, it creates more free agency, mm-hmm. and which I think is a God-given right for us. But I think that, uh, yeah, th- there's there's no benefit to those uh, organizations, institutions to, cr- to teach us about mm-hmm. financial planning, financial literacy. So, um, and so, and, and again, my family, we never talked about that topic, mm-hmm. ever. And it was so really it was really just taking them upon my shoulders and saying, okay, okay and I actually remember very clearly, I had my second year uh, doing door-door sales And I made $156,000 and I was like, I have no idea what to do with this. Mm -hmm. And I talked to my CPA and I said, hey, what are all your wealthy clients doing? he said, they own businesses or and real estate. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I kind of got the idea to jump into it. And then just took it on myself to learn, you know? And and I think that, um, you know, those that know me, I talk a lot about growth mindset and an abundance mindset. I think that's really the key here is just having an attitude and a mindset of, hey, I can do anything. And just because I am where I am right now in my life does not mean that's where I'm supposed to be or where you know I have to be. Mm -hmm. And our decisions determine our future. And so the more that we can incorporate that mindset that we really are in the driver's seat and our future is really just based on an accumulation of the decisions that we make today, it's really a powerful concept, man. It's really empowering. I think a lot of people have a hard time with that mindset though, because it's easier... To just have it more of a fixed mindset. Like, hey, it is what it is. I am where I am. You know, it's a, it's, it's because of my parents or because of my race or my, you know, my, my. Put it on my, someone else. Yeah. Right? It's on yeah, someone else's that. thing. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Now you don't have to
1: own it. Yeah. Which probably my all time favorite book is Extreme Ownership, mm-hmm. right? Jocko yeah. Link, yep. phenomenal book. And it's all about just owning everything, you know? And that's really empowering because then it's on you to make the change and to make those, those edits.
0: Oh, I love that. That's spot on. And went back to the, yeah, the money. I mean, so people, so many people are so passive about money in their life. Like you're saying, they just put on autopilot it is what it is. And very few like you, I love, we're talking about a second back, back dating into your lifestyle, right? Okay. This is the lifestyle I want. How much cash flow do I need to have that lifestyle? It's huge. And, um, you can see how active you are about thinking about money and it's, it's a, it's to your benefit and it's to your kids benefit and your wife and your spouse and your, and your parents and your grandparents, it helps everyone around you when you put your, you know, as an atlas, put the world on your shoulders and say, it's my decision, extreme ownership. I love
1: it. You got it. Two uh, two or three things real quick on that one. I'd say that money is, you know, people say money's evil. 100% disagree with that. Mm-hmm. I think that money is simply a facilitator a magnifier so whatever you're about in your life it's going to magnify that and it's going to make it easier Mm. and so whether that you know if it's if it's more about control and or your vices then it's going to make it's not going to be good for you right but if you're about expanding and helping and giving back and creating value and and having more freedom it's going to facilitate all those things a lot quicker so um and then i think it's important that we always make money matter right like tie purpose to money Mm. money itself is just paper it's it, it really has no intrinsic value it's what are we going to do with that and I've, I've found in my own life that if i know exactly what my intentions are with money it seems to just come easier and i think money naturally just kind of goes to where it knows it's going to be taken care of you know if you're going to be a good steward over that and make it go work for you so ultimately uh money is currency and current means it's moving right mm. I talk a lot about velocity of money. The worst thing you can do is just have money just sitting in your checking account or just sitting in a bank, especially right now with inflation, right? But that's the worst possible thing. You've got to make sure your money's out working for you, and there's mm-hmm. velocity of, of money. Yeah. But just to summarize my thoughts on 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 money itself is, um, uh, you know, so again, the more purpose you can tie to it, then the easier it comes to you, yeah. and there's intentionality behind it, man. And I, I, you know, I've spent a lot of time in my own personal life figuring, out, like, okay, why do I want to have more money, and mm-hmm. I've got it all written down. It's it's more freedom, you know, right? So that I can be with my kids when I want to be with them. I want to be able to do whatever I want to be doing with people. I want to be doing it when I want to be doing it. Yep. And that is the ultimate definition of, of freedom.
0: Of financial freedom. When people talk about financial freedom, that's the definition. I love it. Yeah. not spot on.
1: But but one last thought, it, you know, money really is, I look at it as like a chess board. And your, the money is just little, you know, little little, little your little chess pieces. Mm-hmm. And it really is a, strat, a game of a strategy, you know, and it's, And the beautiful thing about that is we live in the most i mean you can learn anything at the tip of your fingertips uh with google right so if you want to learn more about financial literacy just listen to podcasts read the books the game of money i
0: think is the most fast everyone i've talked to that's wealthy they talk about money and business as a game over and over again, I hear that from podcasts, everyone I listen to, they talk about it as a game, and they it really does have game-like qualities to it. It's chess pieces, it's moving things, it's I'm gonna make this tweak and move that. And that's why entrepreneurship is addictive. It's so addictive. Starting businesses, scaling stuff, getting cash flow. That's why people like Warren Buffett can't stop. They've got all the money in the world. And they just, they just this is the funnest thing I've ever done in my life: is play this game of money. And I think it's when you start to gamify things is when I want to talk about the, you talked about money as rewards too. I had a great mentor tell me, Bridger, you need to set, yeah, set a goal, but also set a reward, a financial reward for that goal. So if you hit your sales goal or whatever, you already know exactly what you're going to do the day after. Are you going to go get a nice dinner with your girlfriend or spouse? You're going to buy a certain thing. You're going to be on a trip to Mexico that next day, right? Whatever it is. And you you attach emotion to that and it, it gamifies it. And I love gamifying all that kind of stuff. Now I want to talk about something different for a second. We, talk, we kind of touched on it, financial literacy. And yeah. I want to talk about what you do with your kids and how you teach your kids. Because right now you mentioned the school system <laughs> fails us in financial things. I totally agree. I actually heard um, from uh, Chamath, their All In podcast. Um, I, don't, I don't listen to it, I just saw a little clip from it. But um, he said, he's like, I think he is, well, actually, I thought it was pretty cool. He's like, as, as far as education, he's like, we should hire five, 10, 15 of the best teachers in the world. We should pay them like LeBron gets paid or Giannis or whoever, tens of millions of dollars. And every day they do Zoom classes to the entire country. And then you have local teachers on site that help facilitate assignments and paperwork. But you, the core content shouldn't be taught from just Joe Schmo, who's got a bachelor's degree. Have the best teachers in the world. I thought that was fantastic for as far as moving education along. So anyways, I wanna um, frame that with, I wanna hear about your thoughts on fashion education and then also what you do for your kids, actually more specifically. How do you teach your kids about
1: financial education? Yeah, so on the first one, I would say, uh, you know, so one of my buddies is actually opening up a new school up in Salt Lake just because he wants to be able to teach that, you know, because pub- public schools are not mm-hmm. teaching that. Yep. So I think that's awesome. He's actually taking action and making the change himself. Um, I think that, and I'll, I'm launching a podcast middle of next year, and it's gonna be focused on helping teach basic financial literacy. To you know, basically 18-year-olds to 25-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So when you get out of high school, yeah. you know how to be smart and responsible with your taxes, your finances, how to create passive income, how to deploy that in a way that you can create real freedom in your own life. And so, but coming back to my own my own family, you know, it's been a fun journey because again, nobody ever talked to me about this stuff when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and so I've just taken upon myself. I want to really up level that for my own kids and set a new standard uh, as a legacy for our kids going forward. And so a few things I'll share real fast is, you know, all of my, my kids are employees. So I've got, you know, a six year old, a nine year old, a 12 year old and a 15 year old, Mm -hmm. and they're all employees of my real estate fund or my real estate business. Sorry, not the fund. And so they get paid a salary every month. And the beauty of that is. I'm teaching them work ethic. I'm teaching them how money works. Do you actually but,
0: pay them or do you like put it into an account that they, they can't touch?
1: They, they, they each have an account. And so we'll sit down on the first Sunday of each month and we'll go do a, a reconciliation. So they'll mm-hmm. they'll see how much they've earned. and uh, And then whatever they've earned for the month, the way I manage that is 10% goes to giving back, Thirty mm-hmm. percent um, is discretionary; they can spend on whatever they want to, mm-hmm. no questions asked. And then the remaining sixty percent goes into savings, and that mm-hmm. savings is either for education or investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay, so it's it's kind of a systematic you got approach Roth to Roth 401 to set up for him? I actually don't. I uh Roth, yeah, You know, worries. personally, I used to always contribute to my retire- retirement retirement yep. account. Uh, about four years ago, I made a commitment to not do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And this is controversial, but. To me, I don't like the idea of having your money locked up. It goes mm-hmm. against that velocity of money concept yeah. and the fact that it's um, mainly you can't touch it, but it's also, I think the stock market's very frothy and I'd rather be in real tangible brick and mortar real estate. And then I also um, believe that with the demographics of the United States, with all the baby boomers, uh, social security and a lot of those retirement vehicles are actually in trouble down the road. Mm. And lastly, I believe that the tax rates will be higher in the future than they are today mainly because of the demographics all well, the baby boomers and how many people yeah. are leaving the labor force in America right now. Yeah. And so to me, it doesn't make as much sense. So what so I wait, am hold doing on real
0: quick. So if you, but you taxes, you pay now, right on a Roth, on yeah. a Roth IRA, you paid now, it's down the road, how discretionary and my, i you probably know more than me on those retirement accounts. And depends, I think it depends on how you set them up as well. Sure. But, um, which one is like, I thought you could, you could do whatever you want in those, like a, a Roth. Like you could use all your private equity could come out of your yeah. Roth IRA. Right.
1: So a self-directed,
0: a self-directed Roth IRA.
1: Yes. Then you could, you could actually go and that. do that. Um, and, and so, so it's
0: still, you still get the velocity out of that. Yes. It's still the investment.
1: Great point, but you can't take the cash flow out. So the cash flow has in. to stay within yeah. that, right? It's it redeployed. So you still don't have access to it. Mm, so, gotcha. so it is still, Can you
0: borrow against it, do you know, no, can't borrow against no. those counts. So I, mm. I get Morgan Stanley, yeah.
1: you know, and I think you talked about this on a podcast previously, but what, and by the way, here's a little golden nugget. Um, for your listeners, but if you have money sitting in a, in, in a, any type of a uh, traditional brokerage account, not including IRA counsel or 401ks, but you can actually take a pledged line of credit against that yep. and then borrow against, say, a 50%, 60% leverage ratio. And the rates right now are incredible, oh, you know, yeah. less than 2%. Yeah. So you can literally leverage that and kind of arbitrage that line of credit to go out and do other investments. Um, that's a whole tangent. I'll call, I love the, you want to go it's on that. It's called buy,
0: borrow, die. So what they call it. So that's what the wealthy do. They buy assets, borrow against those assets, and they die. And guess what? Their kids get all the assets with no de- death penalty. With so that step of basis. That's how yeah, exactly. So I mean if you have, you know, Elon Musk, right? Doesn't need to, he doesn't need to sell stock. Now he sold some stock, which is interesting, right? Yeah. But he could just borrow against his stock. And go buy a super yacht or whatever he wants, right? And then, and that's actually a liability on his balance. He doesn't have to pay taxes; it's he, he just right. pays the interest. Anyway, it's pretty interesting. And,
1: and if it's used for business purposes, that loan, then the interest is tax deductible. So instead of yep. paying two percent, you really your net is like a one point five percent straight, right? Yep. If you can't go arbitrage that, you know, in this market, then you probably shouldn't be investing in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but going back to kids, so you know, it's been really fun to teach them financial literacy and, and and how to how to invest and how to build passive income and, and why that's important. And, and so um, going back to that, kind of that, you know, 60, 30, 10 split. So every month we'll go through that accounting. And by the way, from a tax perspective, I'm not a CPA, I can't give tax advice. But, you know, basically you can pay children up to $12,500 something dollars per yeah. year right now. And it's a d- deduction to your business, right, because they're employees. Mm-hmm. But then because they make under that 12000 and whatever, they don't have to file legally yeah. and so it's literally a, a win-win on both sides from a tax perspective they don't file and you get a deduction that's right yeah cool. that's right it's, it's a powerful way to uh yeah, it makes a lot so every of sense. Year with, you have four kids. Four kids. Yeah, so you're saying, and they each anything. have an employment contract. You know, my six year old, that's not as much. You know, she gets the mail for me. She opens it. She shreds. You know, the yeah. mail. She'll water the plants. to help kind of clean up the office and things like that. But, um, but make sure what, what you do pay them is market, right? So you don't want to pay your six year old twelve thousand, mm. right? So wow. make sure it's 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 justifiable. Yeah. But uh, that's a fun way to be able to teach them about about money. Um, you know, my kids come all the time like, hey, dad, what else can I do to, to make some money? You know, mm-hmm. but it's always about they've got to work for it. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that I, I worry about is is having kids that grow up soft or without work ethic, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so it's really being intentional and making sure they understand that, you know, nothing's given to us. Mm-hmm. And I think in today's uh, politi- politics and just our the world we live in, there's so much entitlement where people just think it's going to be given to them. You know somebody else is going to take care of them mm-hmm. somebody else is going to take care of our problems but ultimately it's on us and we got to own our results so um so that's, that's kind huge of, that's yeah. kind of the structure of how we pay our kids um and then on top of that they all have real estate ambitions and goals and my oldest ones own crypto and that's been really fun for them to own crypto because of the so they can actually see these big jumps or, or drops in their portfolio and
0: they're watching that's the biggest thing yeah. is they're watching it right yeah, yeah exactly i love
1: it and there's a there's an app called green Green card, it's really good. It's an actual credit card you can get your kids, and you can invest through that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then have the kids, you know, they, they buy stock of what they really like. So my daughter wants a Tesla Model 3 for her first car, so she's buying Tesla. She's buying some, you know, and Apple stock, whatever they're into and they're passionate about it. Mm-hmm. Disney, they're buying that stock, and so they're actually involved in it emotionally. Um, but then also with with, uh, if you ask any of my kids, if you said, hey, what type, what's the best type of income, mm-hmm. they would immediately, even my six year old, say. Passive income. Mm-hmm. Like I've instilled that. <laughs> they understand that really well. And so yeah. going back to like um, 401ks, I also used to always invest in a 506, uh, sorry, not 506, a uh, 529, so education funds. Mm. But instead of that, what I'm doing now is I want each one of my children to own their own fourplex by the time they go to college. Mm, and cool. so they're getting cash flow from that. And then protecting their initial investments through real estate mm, cool. and then we talked about taxes right so they get depreciation benefits and it offsets that income that they do take from from that that property one last thing on that note too is um you know i'm i talk a lot about um kind of having creating a, a tax deductible lifestyle so you want to be investing into businesses and things that are part of your lifestyle and so like we're building a you know a second home in park city as well as in st george because we love those two markets mm-hmm. and they're beautiful you know vacation homes but they'll also be airbnb short-term rental properties and so what that allows us to do is we can go vacation there use it a few times a year but it's also a tax deduction and the entire asset is a investment property Mm -hmm. and so it's a fun way to be able to make cash flow but still create amazing experiences for my family for me for my friends my business partners
0: yeah oh i love it that's yeah and and then i love the, the kids too just the involvement i think just having them in the market playing whether it's big money or small money, it keeps them their eye on the ball. I had a great, my growing up, I, my dad did a great job of this. Now he didn't, I wish he would have done stuff like that. What he did for us was just every, I mean, every dinner we ever sat down at, we talked finance that I can remember. I mean, we talked about home prices. We talked about appreciation. We talked about, you know, different real estate properties, we talked about stocks, talked about the future of whatever was going on at the time. And that leaves a lasting effect. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing too, is seeing how good, like your kids seeing you, how much you thought about it and, and put time into it and, it and it pulls their focus to it as well.
1: Your dad's awesome, by the way. Absolute stud. One thing that I've learned with my kids is that they learn best by participation. Mm-hmm. So when yep. they can see it and they not, we don't just talk about it or we don't tell them about it or you know have them read Rich Dad, Poor Dad for Kids or Rich Dad, Poor Dad for, for, for Teens, which mm-hmm. are two books I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. But it's they learn the most by seeing and mm-hmm. participating in these type of events, right? And same thing, one of my goals this year is for 2022 is actually to bring my kids to business meetings, investor meetings, you know, Axie meetings, so they can actually see how we do what we do. Mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful. Um, One more thing that we've done with the kiddos is we launched the All Red Family Foundation. Mm -hmm. So it's a charitable foundation. And we let each one of our children choose which organization they want to support. And so they each have, you know, one. my daughter's helping uh, underground, Operation Underground Railroad. My Mm -hmm. son wanted to help with Warrior Project. You know, uh, one of my daughters loves animals, so it's an animal, you know, protection fund, and so they chose these different ones, but they actually own it, and so they're contributing, you know, every year to these 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 purpose, these, these, these uh, charitable projects. Mm-hmm. So, cool. really fun way instead of just talking about giving back, but actually, and they do
0: that out of their accounts mm-hmm. from what they're paid from every year. Really cool. You got yeah. it. Oh man, that's awesome. Um, I, I think you're spot on. The participation is is huge. Well, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Well, honestly, it's, game, so, it's, but it's so it's so amazing. it's so
1: fun too, man. As a dad, like to to be able to have those conversations, and maybe that's just me, but I I'm driving back from the jazz game um, two days ago. And my son's in the back seat; he's nine, mm-hmm. and he goes, "Dad, what can I do to make more passive income?" Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, right? I thought he was asleep in the back seat, yeah, yeah, And all of a sudden, we have this 20, 30 minute conversation about how to start a business and how to get into, you know more real estate. Oh, yeah. and, it's such a fun, for some reason, that's such a fulfilling conversation for mm-hmm. me. And again, it's not about the money. Honestly, money, yeah. money is just money. It's just it, money is literally just a, a tool, right? In your toolbox. But it's teaching these guys, teaching people how to become, you know, to make an impact in life and mm-hmm. how to make a difference, right? Because I really believe that to make a big impact, I mean, money really does help you do that if you use it in the right way.
0: Oh, hundred percent. Like I, I love the, <laughs> I had one mentor tell me, he's like, Everyone wants to go save the whale. Everyone wants to go ch- save the world. I changed the world. I'm going to go out and change the world. You got to change your world first before you go change the world. And money, if you have a huge you know, piggy bank to pull from, you can do a lot more good or bad. Because I, I think people might be watching right now. Oh, Dave's just a greedy guy. He wants to just, his kids just about money. But no, it's, it's, not about the, it's not about the dollars. It's about the education behind the dollars and how to think about life. That's right. And how to manage your life. I, I had a, my dad talked to us about mortgage payments, insurance, just life in general, how bank accounts are set up, how LLCs run. I mean, just stuff mm-hmm. like that. It's just practical business knowledge. And,
1: and we I'm were not, talking about it when I was but, 10
0: years old at the table. Was,
1: but Bridger, look at you, man. You're, you're one of the most grounded, down to earth, humble guys, I know. So that's a compliment mm-hmm. to you, seriously, man. With the success you've had, your family's had, and even with this podcast and investment fund secrets that you run, incredible success, but look how grounded you are. So you know, I think, again, it goes back to just teaching why money's important, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about the money. Like the last thing I want to do is have my kids be like really money focused. Mm-hmm. It's about just how to be responsible with that. You know, I think that when, when people understand how to manage money or how money works, it's gonna, they're going to have so much higher probability of, of, of success in their lives because the, it's like when when NFL players get uh, big payouts, right, or a, 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 a lottery winner, usually it lasts maybe two or three years, and they're actually in a worse position than before. Why? Because they didn't understand – how to responsibly manage that yep. that capital, right? I think and it's so,
0: I think it's about 60% of lottery winners say they wish they never would have won the lottery. That's crazy. That won over $10 million. That's crazy. Big pig it's crazy. Sorry, keep going.
1: And then NFL is not for long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that you know at the end of the day, the most important investment is the six inches of real estate between your ears. Mm-hmm. Right. So anything you can do to increase your mindset, your education. I'm a big fan of that. I mean I, I spend six figure a year on personal development, strategic uh, real estate coaches, yeah, okay. masterminds, whatever it is.
0: I love it. Well, let's, let's change gear for a second. We talked, we alluded to lifestyle design. and something I know you're passionate about. We just, you just touched on as well, investing yourself. In I'm the same way. We've spent hundreds of thousand of dollars in education. I spend on my teams. We buy courses. I buy masterminds all the time. I believe in that. I think it's just, it's, it's the biggest investment you can possibly make. So talk to me about your, maybe you've already touched on it. We don't have to touch on it more, but when you, lifestyle design for you, what does that look like? Um, as far as, uh, when you're sitting at, you know, listening to this podcast, I've probably got a lot of ambitious people listening to this or people that are already successful that maybe don't have every part of their life figured out. What's your thoughts on lifestyle design and then coupling that with your investments in business?
1: Um, so we could do an entire podcast on this, <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm going to keep it really high level, cool. but right. you know, as I was traveling around the country, managing all these different teams and I worked with thousands of sales reps and as a as a leader i realized you know i, I wanted to get the most out of these, these these employees and so i'd sit down and do what i call one-on-one performance interviews and i sit down with these guys like hey man wh- why are you here what's your holy cause what's your purpose mm. you know what's the outcome you want from this summer and you know they always have like one quick answer like hey i want a new car i want a new house i want to get married i want wealth i mm-hmm. want whatever right yeah. um but you, you dive in a, a a little bit deeper into that and it gets really fuzzy and really ambiguous really quickly and mm-hmm. A lot of guys so they don't have a clear vision. Yeah, they don't, they they don't no really know what they, do. what they want in life. Yeah. And, you know, one of my favorite terms I say a lot is, you know, most people spend more time per year uh, planning out their annual vacation than they do their actual life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really believe that if you can just get clear on what you ultimately want in your life and have that clarity, then you simply reverse engineer your decision, your decisions and your habits accordingly. And you're going to hit that target so much faster um and you're gonna enjoy the process and the journey because there's intention behind it you know why you're doing what you're doing i think most people live life very reactive right it's basically every morning it's like okay how am i feeling what's being thrown at me Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of meandering back and forth through life with different changing goals on what they really want to accomplish but You know, and and this is not an easy process, but if you can just get super clear, crystal clear on what it is, how you define a successful, meaningful, impactful life and get that in writing and refine that and make sure it's, it's right. And then once you have that, then simply reverse engineering the whole process. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and and so I think it's
0: so interesting as humans, just to cut you off for a second that that, if you read any self-development book, any, I mean, rich dad, poor dad, all the, you know, all these money books that are Napoleon Hill, that go back forever they all say the same thing is if you have a clear vision to your point, a very clear vision of what you want, typically the universe, God, yourself, the people around you will conspire for you to get that thing. And you can call it roses and petals, but it's just, it's, it's proven time and time again. The problem is most of us don't know what we want and live a very, like you said, a very reactive life rather than a proactive life. I just want to echo what you're saying. I think it's spot on.
1: So, so how do we get clear yeah, on that, right? It, yeah. So, let's talk about that for a minute. Because for me, this is a process. It started out as a simple spreadsheet, and I remember it clearly. I talked about wanting financial freedom and all these things, but there's a big difference between wanting and being committed. And mm-hmm. so, I remember just on a Sunday, I am like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm committed to creating true financial freedom and a life by with purpose, a life by design. And so, I sat down for four hours and I just, you know, took a spreadsheet and I out the 10 areas of my life that i feel like i want to be really good at right and it's you know it's it's business finances uh health my time my family spiritual my experiences relationships and uh forget the last one but you know 10 important categories because a lot of guys are really good at one thing they're they're Mm -hmm. phenomenal health but they're lacking with their relationships or Mm -hmm. they're a great dad their business sucks Mm -hmm. or more commonly their business is awesome and they're making a bunch of money but their family suffers mm-hmm. or their social relationships do and so you know i, I want to have a, this impactful meaningful life and so i reverse-engineered every one of those 10 different categories in my life and got crystal clear on it and it was a process uh it was four hours that sunday but now you know every every month I, I go back to that it's a living document and it's all in writing and i just go back and i refine it so if i have a podcast I listen to or a seminar or a conference or a mentor or a coach And something really resonates with me I'll run back I'll throw it into my lifestyle design and uh so for me it's a it's a blueprint it's literally this is the life that I want and uh it's been so fun man because like with my family I've gone back and I've even reverse engineered the traditions that we want to be doing right Mm -hmm. so every Sunday is an ice cream Sunday with my kids you know every Tuesday night is sushi night with my kids Mm -hmm. you know every Thursday night is a date night with one of my different kids each month you know Friday nights with my my wife and you know, every night from eight to nine p.m. is with my kids. One hour. You know, I think with kids, it's about it's not about volume of time, it's about quality of time. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. one hour every night with the kiddos. It's just those little those little habits that make a big impact. I think at the end of the day. And so, um, but anyway. So I love so that. so what? Can I the- ask
0: you another question? Sure. Just before you go on, are you one that believes in? It sounds like you do. Like in balance. Having all you have those ten aspects, you balance those things out. Because I've heard two things. Hey, you got to have balance in life. The other one is go all in on one thing at a time and just get really good at one thing and then go to the next one, and the next one, and because you can't balance. What's your thoughts on, on balance versus imbalance?
1: I love that question, man, because I've given that so much thought and I've talked to mm. a dozen people that I really look up to as mentors and, and uh, as leaders. Here's my answer. I think that the price of greatness is imbalance. balance, mm. okay? Show me one person that has a really well, perfectly balanced life that's, that's changing the world, mm. right? So the price of greatness is imbalance but I also believe in seasonality, meaning that sometimes you've gotta go all in on a project. You launch a new business, you go out for a summer sales program, you launch your new fund, Mm -hmm. you're gonna be out of balance, man. You're you're gonna neglect some of the relationships, some of your personal health maybe, Mm -hmm. because you've gotta go all in on this project, okay? But once that project is is stabilized or it's off the ground, then you need to go back and make up for those relationships. Mm -hmm. Go take your wife on a vacation, go spend some time with your kids. And so it's not, you know, at all times, I'm definitely not doing a great job in all 10 aspects, mm-hmm. but like on an annual basis, if I look back at the year, I want to get, you know, an eight, nine, or 10 score in each one of those different categories. Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
0: But yeah, see the season that you're in. I like yeah. that. So, and the, I like that. The, the cost of greatness is imbalanced. Is imbalanced. Imbalance, that's yep. spot on. Because it's true. It yep. is true. You don't see anybody. Now, now, the problem you see is with people that remain in that imbalance. Yeah. They remain, it's the billionaire that, you know, has no life social life has 50 pounds overweight and wife just divorced him right that's the imbalance they never come back like you're saying and saying to rebalance after that I like that a lot
1: but I think that if you have intentionality and purpose with how you operate it all becomes so much more fun like I mean Bridger honestly right now I'm working harder than I ever have in my professional career Mm -hmm. even though I don't need to be and why why because I love what I'm doing man You know, helping with uh, executive consulting, helping you know speaking from stage, helping other people. One of my goals is to help uh, create real direct value for 10 million people, and help a thousand people become millionaires and have true financial freedom. And just you know, and then the Axia Fund and all these Mm -hmm. different syndications. These are things that I want to be doing, and they're with my friends. You know, 99% of my entire, out of the hundreds of capital partners that I work with, 99% of them are my friends. It's my Mm -hmm. social network, right? And on that note, a lot of people are like Dave, well, Doesn't that it doesn't that stress you out knowing that you're raising capital from? That's a great question. Yeah, from your, your friends. Your Should you
0: raise it from your friends, right? or brother? Yeah, it's right? a great
1: question. So I want, So here's my answer. Yeah, I want to hear your answer. I get that all the time. Yeah, like, isn't that like super stressful? I'd say, well, first off, yes, it is a heavy mm-hmm. I have a fiduciary responsibility with all my basically all my friends, yep. right? Um, so it does weigh heavy, and it's important. But ultimately, if I like the deal, and I would be doing the deal anyway on my own why would I not want to include the people I care about? Hmm. Why would I not want my, want my brother or my best friends coming into a really good deal with me versus a credit union or some institutional lender, hmm. right? So why would I, it's actually, I think it's selfish if I didn't share these opportunities with these, th- th- my friends, yeah. you know, even coming from a, uh, you know, 17 years in this door to door, uh, direct to home sales space, a lot of those guys make great money and they want financial freedom, but there's a, uh you know a, a real barrier of entry whether that's competence or confidence but they want to be in these type of deals right mm-hmm. and so if i can help create value for them by creating opening that door it's actually been awesome man like i've yeah. I've, I've loved the ability to go and create value for so many people through opening the doors of these investment opportunities um, but it is a heavy responsibility for sure
0: oh 100 yeah because if it goes south right what happens there and i and i i uh one of my mentors told me this and it stuck with me forever. He goes, running a fund is all about managing investor expectations. Running a fund is all about managing investor expectations. If your investor believes they're going to get X and you give them below X, you're the worst, you know, if 20, they, they want a 25 and you gave them a 22, you're the worst fund manager on the planet. If they wanted a 18 and you gave them a 22, you're the best fund manager on the planet, right? Same, it's the same thing with family and friends. I think uh, any, I've had a family and friends invest in my stuff before. And I make sure before they invest, I'm sure you do the same thing. I go, "Okay, hey, hey, this is your own decision. I'm not I'm put, obviously I believe in it. I put my own money in. You can see all the documents here. But if this goes south, I I, I don't think it will. I'm going all in, but make sure you only put money in that you can lose. And that's yeah. what our, all of our documents say the same thing. This could go to zero. It really could, you know. Now we don't think it will. We got all these stats and things that we don't we think it's gonna do really well, but it could go to zero. If it goes to zero, we still good. Are you still happy with me? And I, I hey, I'm probably I'm gonna lose a couple hundred thousand dollars too, right? I'm in, I'm in with you. You know what I mean? I, I, I have that conversation with, if I have a friend or a family member coming in and I make sure that we preemptively talk about it. Even though it's a little awkward to talk about that. Yeah, and it I, helps a lot. I,
1: I love that. Three things I would add to it is, one is like I will always invest personal money in any deal that I ever raise money for. As a 100% every single time, right? So I have real skin in the game with them. Two, like you just said, It's all about just being really upfront. So from the beginning, hey, man, here are the risks. You know, it could go this way. I don't think it will, but it could. Mm -hmm. And so as long as you're very open, transparent, and honest in the upfront conversation around the investment opportunity, then ultimately, hey, we're all big boys. You know, if it ends up going south and we lose out or we lose some money in a deal, that's part of investing, mm-hmm. it, it does happen, right? And knock on wood, there's only been two deals I've ever done that have ever lost any money. Mm-hmm. So I'm really proud of that, you know, out of 175 or whatever it is, but, uh, but 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 there is real risk in that. So you guys have to understand that. And then lastly, I love what you said. I, I did the exact same thing. I said, hey man, I appreciate you wanting to come in on the deal, just so you know, um, to me, relationships are everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I care way more about the relationship than the money. So I wanna make sure that no matter what happens to this investment, that, you know, we're gonna be good. And so I actually literally just ask, as a, I say that and I ask as a question. Mm. And I think that uh, that's a great way of approaching it.
0: Yeah, I like it. Okay, I want to switch gears again. Let's do it. A uh, couple more questions for you. Your current market outlet on real estate. You built a recession-proof fund, obviously in anticipation of something cracking. Right now we have huge you know, inflationary times. They just, Jerome Powell just retired the word transitory the other day it's not transitory inflation now it's just we're just an in actual inflation oh, now oh good i got so no i got so tired of that tra- oh my gosh transitory. i was just for months was, it's not trans- inflation is not transitory it is here and finally he admitted it yeah it's inflation is here um you know and they're talking about tapering here in 2022 earlier than expected um raising rates and starting to pull back what are your thoughts and what how does real estate let's let's talk that's your fund you guys are in the real estate game Again, no one has a perfect crystal ball, but I want to yeah. hear what you're thinking about. What, what's going through your brain when you think about uh, the United States real estate market in general? And we can talk about markets and submarkets as well. But what do you? What's your? Uh, what's your crystal ball look like?
1: So we spent spend a few hours on this one. So feel free to wrap me back in, so we don't go on too many <laughs> tangents. Okay, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, what I would say is, first off, I think that real estate is still the greatest way to build true generational wealth hmm. out of any asset type. I really believe that uh nfts blockchain super sexy fun and, you know innovative and maybe that will be but today looking at all the whole risk spectrum i think real estate's the place to be in mm-hmm. for consistent long-term wealth uh with that being said i think that cap rates right now are so compressed it's a crazy market we're in right now, yep. right now it feels very frothy again we're 12 with years com- into with it with
0: compressed tax i'm gonna cut you off right in the middle of this i just got you started Do you feel like they're so compressed because people are anticipating cap rates with increased rent due to inflation and rents have not caught up to inflation asset prices have gone up but rents have not and that's why cap rates are so compressed Do you you feel like that's the reason and that's why people are still buying in this kind of market or is it just because we have so much extra capital that people just have to deploy it
1: i think it's two things i think one is it's because you know based on who you speak with but from very reputable sources i've heard between 25 to 40% 40% of all the U.S. dollars in circulation been printed in the last 12 last 18 months. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a crazy statistic. And that's come from came from from Ray Dalio to to Pomp. To, they actually, start, to they actually stopped
0: print they started they stopped uh, uh, publishing the amount. Anyways, keep going. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, it's hard to find right now. They they took it off the Fed's website. So and it, but, and so, so, put it back on so, so
1: simple about. supply and demand economics. You have that infusion of capital coming in is going to drive prices up and secondly is with all the uncertainty internationally there's a lot of international dollars coming into the united states because the dollar is still the safest uh is like a safe haven right now right and so those two things mixed with the fact that uh people are chasing yield they want cash flow Mm, and the bond market's not going to be creating that and so if real estate can kick off even a you know five six seven percent cash flow and the appreciation and the huge tax benefits that mm-hmm. real estate provides, I think it's really just the accumulation of all three of those things. So it's the supply of money, it's the uh, concerns over inflation, and people knowing that in inflationary times, not only do asset values go up, but historically market rents go up as well with inflation, mm-hmm. yeah. okay? And mixed with the fact that we have such low interest rates. Yeah. And I wanna take one minute on that one because If you ask Dave Allred right now, like, what's my personal approach in real estate? It's I want to own as much. I want to control as much real estate as I can possibly own. that is still cash flow positive with the lowest fixed rate interest I can get on the, on, on the assets. Okay. Because fixed rate too. Yeah. yeah, It's so, so we, we talk about leverage right now in this economy or in this environment, I always want to have fixed long-term low interest debt. Mm -hmm. So I try to avoid variable debt, you know, even like a three, five, seven year arm. I'll try to stay away from that because here's this, I'm gonna put this very simply. Uh, Actually, I'll give you an example. We closed on a a Kansas City deal. Uh, It's $15 million loan Uh, interest rate is Mm 2.8% and it's fixed for 35 years and amortized over 35 years. Mm -hmm. It's it's an amazing loan product, right? So if we're paying 2.8% as a cost of money, and, but the, the Fed saying that current uh, inflation is what? Four
0: to
1: 5%. 6.4. 6.4. In my opinion, it's it's closer to double that. I think exactly. that we're actually real world inflation closer to 10 plus percent. So if we're paying 3% on the money and we're basically with inflation alone, we're actually kind of arbitraging 7% right there yeah. alone yep. on the asset plus the rent, but then it's even better because the cash flow on the rental property is going to continue to go up with inflation as well Mm -hmm. right and so and then the whole time anyway so my so so to me the beautiful thing right now is to get long-term fixed interest debt on cash flow positive property even though the acquisition price is pretty frothy and it feels a little uncomfortable right now i think long term we're going to be it's all it's still going to be a really there's a lot of profitability long term Mm -hmm. in this and i'm sure we're going to have some some choppy waters it's not a matter of if but when we we will see that, and so um, to me it's more about in real estate it's really about mitigating the risk up front. So a lot of times we just the biggest challenge in real estate is we don't when we don't know we don't know. So when something blindsides us, we have a um, you know a, a, just a, something we miss in our due diligence process. But if you can identify those risks up front, you can actually mitigate most of those um, out the gate. And so I feel like if you a few things that I do to make at risk real quick is I always keep my leverage ratio below about 65% across mm. the portfolio. I always have liquidity, you know, make, you know, really liquidity is the key to getting through any type of a downturn. You know, there's been no point in U S history where, uh, America's housing market was, was not higher than it was five years previously. So even mm. previous to the 2008, eight, yeah. nine, ten, you know, housing collapse, which was the, a huge collapse. If you go back and look at house prices in 2007, Versus in 2012, they were actually higher in 2012 hmm. than that. So, I, so as long as you can get through those downturns, those peaks and valleys, yeah. you're going to be in a pretty safe position there. So, uh, if we had more time, I'd go through this. But you know, I have like seven different backstops with my real estate portfolio to be able to create liquidity, whether that's blockchain, a HELOC, you know, an asset that's paid off, emergency funds, mm-hmm. even your stock and bonds. Like, yeah. I, I actually would prefer to have no bonds right now. I think the bonds with interest rates going up in the future, bond performance goes down, yep. right? Yep. At least historically. So and Ray so, Dalio
0: has been preaching for the last year. He's been saying, get out of bonds. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, 100% yep. agree. Yep.
1: So why do I have that? Because if real estate just went completely down the toilet, I, I basically have figured out what my debt service is across my entire portfolio. Mm-hmm. And so I have that in liquidity in my bonds. So I could sell off the bonds and have a full year of liquidity to get through a really bad spot Super in the housing market. I love that. So I call it a backstop. So yeah. I have seven backstops mm-hmm. to my real estate portfolio.
0: So that your hands aren't tied. I think that's the biggest right. thing you want to make as an investor. You don't want your hands ever tied to, you're not forced to sell. That's what you've done.
1: You got it. Yeah. But I'm not just sitting on cash because if you're sitting on cash or literally, you, we just talked about 10%. Yeah. You're literally losing 6 tax. to 12% by yeah. right, just sitting there. So your cash is literally eroding in value every single day. It's sitting in an account. So mm-hmm. I, I get anxiety. You know, If any of my my different business accounts get, you know, over a certain, Threshold. I'm like, yeah, I get anxiety. I gotta get this money out to play. Yeah. It means I get anxiety from it. So, which is kind of crazy. Because I think most people get the other way. If their account balance gets too low, you get anxiety from it. But do
0: you like so for that? I, I and I'm, I'm right now. I, I have, you know, I'm trying to manage my cash my, myself. Now, I have an all weather portfolio that I love. I, I like using that model of like, hey, just put in a very safe all weather portfolio. But what if, right? It comes like for me, it's like, what if like banks freeze my money? Or what if, you know, everything's digital right now. What if we have an EMP in the United States and all my digital money is now gone? Like having even just physical cash. Is that, I mean, I, I've, I sit there because it's it, the, the one thought is, yes, inflation's eroding my cash. But what if there's a, 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 you know, EMP electrical, and we're not talking to end of days here, but what if a Wells Fargo servers, they had a fire last year, one of their servers. And I couldn't access my account for three days. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're stuck, even if you have these money market accounts or if even it's in, I mean, blockchain's nice because you can access it other places, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on keeping a pure cash reserve? So well?
1: yeah, great question. So what I, what I is getting pretty personal, but so I think anybody should, everybody should have at least a six month emergency fund set mm-hmm. aside, right? And so, but again, you know how much I hate cash. Yeah. And so for me, it's basically two months is in cash, you know, set aside somewhere in a safe, whatever. And then uh, two months is actually in, in silver and two months in gold, right? So at least I have like real, you know, real uh, precious metals yep. that I'm sitting on. And so again, it's, it's all about being in the market, right? So you want liquidity and you want to have access, but you still want to make sure your money is, is working for you while you're sleeping, right? And so, um, so that's how I personally would approach that. Uh, I
0: love love that you said I have the same thing. I have silver and gold and there we go. There we go. In a safe somewhere and it's like, you know what? If crap hits the fan, I've got physical stuff. I can go to that safe or that deposit box. I can pull it out and it's like, bam, here it is. And
1: it's empowering just knowing, hey, no matter what, worst case scenario. We can pay our mortgage. We can pay our whatever, you know. And then one more thing I'd share though is it's, that, you know, cryptocurrency is a powerful way to, you know, cryptocurrency is not US dollar denominated or backed. It is a global currency. And so, you know, we had a chance to be out in Miami and uh, Anthony Pompolini or better known as Pomp came and talked to us mm-hmm. for an hour at a mastermind event. And, uh, you know, I got a chance to talk to him and I, I told him that, you know, I have 95%, you know, that allocation percentages I just shared with you guys yeah. only 5% goes into blockchain and everything else is very diversified. And he goes, Dave. You're at he goes, and by the way, Pomp, he's a billionaire, you know, in Bitcoin and he has ninety five percent of his entire net worth in crypto, mainly in Bitcoin. Wow. And he goes, Dave, you you think that I'm in balance with, with my ninety five percent net worth in, in crypto and, and uh Bitcoin? He goes, I'm actually more diversified than you are. I'm mm. like, What do you mean? He goes, Because every ninety five percent of your assets, Dave, are backed on the US dollar. And so you know, if the U.S. dollar did lose its its power, or some some crazy happened yeah. there, I actually yeah, every, even though I think I have diversification with stocks or bonds or with hard money loans or, you know, private equity, it's all U.S. dollar based. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of a mind shift there.
0: Ray Dalio has the same thing. He goes, I, he opened my eyes. He goes, if you're backed not just U.S. dollar but by a country, because think about all your assets you hold a bond, stocks, real estate. At least for me, it was like all that's all tied to the United States if the United States went to war and lost all of my holdings would kind of go in half probably. And he's like, you gotta, th-, and I, that changed my mindset. He's like, you gotta diversify by country, by currency, diversify by asset class, by industry. And that opened my mind to like, huh? Yeah, I actually am tied to the United States, not even the dollar. But, and then to your point, just even the dollar is pretty, pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Good to think about Dave. I kept you here for a long time. <laughs> I got a final question for you. This is a final question to do for everybody. I want, I'm gonna give you a prep and then I'll talk for a second. Okay. You've got, um, well, what we'll do is we'll, whatever you wanna plug, podcast show, whatever you wanna plug for a second. And then I wanna hear, I'm, I'm not gonna interrupt you. You got about a minute, minute and a half, whatever you wanna share with the world. So we can talk about religion, finance, politics, drugs, money, whatever you wanna talk about. You got a minute to a minute and a half, 90 seconds. Give us your life speech. or like, I'm gonna die. This is what I want everyone to know about me, okay? Jeez, so, man, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. I, I didn't, and I didn't I'm gonna, know. I'm going to unmute it. And then, um, but before we do that, how do people find out about you? If you want to follow you, get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it?
1: Got it. Yeah, I don't have anything to a book or you know anything to sell. I uh, mainly just want to come on and create value for your listener base, um, best way to follow me or connect would be on Instagram or any of the social media uh, outlets. So it's just Dave Allred, A-L-L-R-E-D. Should be pretty easy to find. Uh, Axie, you can go to axiapartners.com. It's our website. Besides that, um, yeah, mainly social media, Instagram. Um. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well. Sweet. Um. Dave, it's been awesome having you on. So I'm ready. I'm giving you a little time to think for a second here, but um, it's been awesome having you on. Thank you for all your stuff. And I, by the way, people listening, go follow Dave Axia Axia partners.com. and then Dave all right on Instagram. Um, absolute stud. And we've been a lot of fun stuff. So I've given you a little bit of prep, and I, I like I like putting people on the spot. So here you go, Dave. I want to see how good you do. Here you go for the world. Everyone listening. You got Dave Allred for 90 seconds. Here we go.
1: You gave me some time to prep. I was like, you said like a minute and a half. That was like 20 <laughs> seconds, bro. <Yeah. laughs>
0: um,
1: hey, here's what, here's what I'd want to share. So just, you know, how can I create the most amount of value with this, with this group? Number one is get super intentional and clear on what you want in your life. Right. I think it's got to be in writing. Uh, you know, a good mentor of mine in my life early on said a goal that's not written down is a dream. And so by writing it down, you put power to it, and you're able to measure those incremental improvements and see as you improve and hold yourself accountable to it. So get clear on that. And by the way, if any of your listeners want a copy of a, like a template of my lifestyle design, feel free to shoot me a DM. Uh, I'm welcome, welcome to share that. It's not a product I've ever meant It's been meant to share, but um, it's been really fun to share with, with some close friends. Um, next thing I would I would share is, you know, just really always focus on creating value in life. I feel like the more that we have an, uh, uh, an approach in relationships in partnerships in whatever even as a parent it's all about how can i create maximum value in this moment mm-hmm. right with your wife in this podcast uh, business ventures whatever it is the question is how can i create maximum value and i've found in my life that the more value i can create for other people it always comes full circle even if there's not a immediate benefit right now eventually You know, I've instilled value, and it's going to come around full circle, usually twofold. Mm. The next thing I would say is, you know, I've learned that if something scares you, you should probably do it, right? Whether that's, you know, skydiving, base jumping, um, you know, climbing Mount Everest, you know, uh, a lot of these adventures that I've done in my life is just, if it scares me, I, I feel like I should do it. And it really empowers you because then you don't live life with fear because you've already done it before. Um, and I feel like when we are on the fringe of our comfort zone, that is where we get the most development. Mm-hmm. And so I always actually intentionally always try to stay uncomfortable. And uh, I know that sounds kind of asinine. People are like, dude, what, what are you talking about? Like, you always try to be uncomfortable? I feel like I'm the happiest in my life when I'm making forward progress. And I'm becoming the best version of myself. Um, besides that, uh, I mean, I could keep going here for sure. But, uh, you know, just just you know, live li- life short. Um You know, one of my goals is to have no regrets. You know, I lost my mom unexpectedly about two and a half years ago. And, and, uh, you know, my dad's struggling with Parkinson's and I just feel like, you know, the time is, nothing is guaranteed, nothing is given, right? And so we really just have to maximize our time every moment we have with our kids, our family, our businesses and and make the best of it because at the end of the day, life really is short. And so, um, and then last thing is just um, take big bites. You know, I think that, Life's, I, I would rather look back at my life and uh, and, and, and having failed at a few things, but ha- having known that I tried and that I took some risk and I went for it. I think most people at the end of the day they look back at their life and like, man, I, it's not. They don't regret what they failed at. They regret not having taken the shot. Mm-hmm. And so, just live all, live life all out. You know, just go for it. I think that uh, that's where we grow. And at least for me, that's where my adventure comes from. Is getting uncomfortable doing big things and and really enjoying the process and the last thing i would share bridge is just um you know I, at the end of the day i think that you know money nobody cares how much money you have or even how many rental properties you own like it's really fun for you to, to say hey i have ownership in 1280 rental properties today right now right that sounds cool it's fun at the end of the day nobody gives a shit mm-hmm. if i say that you know at my funeral right yeah and so what really matters is it's about the people, the relationships, the experiences that we create. And even around real estate, you know, real estate's not uh, really sexy. It's the experiences and the relationships we're able to build around real estate. That's been really fun for me. So just, you know, just focus on who you do business with is who you do life with. And so make sure you have the right partners in business and uh, really focus on, 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 on being a good person, creating strong relationships and creating awesome experiences and memories along the way.
0: Dave, all right, everybody. Thank you so much, brother. I'd love that. That, Brid- was a, that was like a whole book could have been written off of that last little bit. Hey, thank thanks. you guys so much. Go follow Dave. Dave Allred on Instagram and then Axiapartners.com.
1: And Bridge, I want to acknowledge you for creating so much value for thousands of people looking to get in the fun space, man. It's been fun to
0: watch your journey. Well, it's have fun having an awesome fun manager like you gone. Again, Dave Allred, thank you guys so much. See ya. Thanks, guys. Hey, hey, it's Bridger here. I have four free and simple ways I can further help you to scale your business or fund. Number one, I have a YouTube channel with actually, I don't, to toot my own horn, I think it's decent content on there. Go check it out. Bridger Pennington is a YouTube channel. We go very deep on funds. Number two, I have a one hour free training at investmentfundsecrets.com. We go very deep into how to actually start and scale your very own fund from ground zero. Number three, you can join our free private Facebook group of like-minded people like me and you that go out and launch and scale funds. I go live in there once a week. The name of the group is Investment Fund Secrets. And then number four, finally, I have a free PDF guide on how to actually launch and scale your fund. If you go to investmentfundsecrets.com guide, you can download that guide. Now, finally, people always ask me, Bridger, can you help me one-on-one? Can we work together? Yes. I don't want to talk about that on here, but if you want to learn more, message me, bridger at investmentfundsecrets.com or just DM me on Instagram. Thank you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.